Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the phone. My name is Sarah Wheaton. I'm the Senior Health Policy Reporter with Politico. I'm based in Brussels, but we are speaking to you live from Paris, um, where we have just had um, an expert brainstorm related to our global policy lab on decoding cancer. Um, we talked about a lot of issues uh, related to um, access to medicine uh, and treatment in France. Um, some of the main things that we touched on are the use of registries, which for those of you who've been following the Global Policy Lab are uh, something that countries that used detailed cancer registries say have been really key to their success. France, not, so, not such a strong suit. Um, we also touched on some of the big debates about um, whether uh, cancer drugs are coming to the market fast enough or if they're coming on too fast without enough proof. Um, and we talked about some other issues as well, including the difficult um, choices that, that patients need to make and whether they're well equipped to make those choices. Um, and uh, to, to kick off that discussion, I'm going to um, turn to Jean-Pierre Thierry, who's the medical advisor for France de Santé, which is the national umbrella organization for patient and consumer groups here in France. And um, he shared a story with the roundtable um, that really opened his eyes to, to these types of tough choices. So Jean-Pierre, you want to? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, well, as, as you say, it was an eye-opener, and it was personal decision of a lady with a diagnosis uh, recently made of uh, advanced stage cancer. Anyway, and she choose not to forego the traditional treatment, but rather to hope for what is called more early palliative care. And then at the end of the day, she said, well, the last two years, that's what I've done with my girl. You know, I visited, I played golf, and so on. And when I compare with the other ladies in the same waiting room, they had all the side effects. So it was my choice, maybe, to live less longer, but to have less side effects and choose uh, choose my way of living instead of trading that for an additional year. Of course, she was a well-trained healthcare professional. So the issue is not so to discuss that case, although it was a lay opener, but just to stress the fact that in many situations, the patients and the person should be given the choice with all the, uh, the, uh, the different alternatives to make a really informed concern. And this is true, as we discussed, uh, for very elderly people diagnosed with cancer, and in other diseases as well, even for example, kidney dialysis also should be, uh, we should apply the same type of reasoning, is that we need to have all the information to really make the informed consent. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have also Antonella Cardone here today, and she's the, the very new director of the European Cancer Patient Coalition. Um, Antonella, what, Jean-Pierre, the woman in Jean-Pierre's example, as he said, was, was a healthcare professional. She was really well equipped to make a decision. Do most cancer patients feel like they can make smart decisions about whether to undergo a particular type of treatment or go to palliative care or what? Well, not really. We see that uh, there are uh, different kinds of uh, patients. Uh, there are some patients, uh, like in this case, who can be called uh, expert uh, patients. And uh, so, so they are well equipped, they are aware, they know, the, they are uh, able to understand the different options and to make a decision. While there are some patients who we believe are lacking this kind of competence, 
and uh, uh, on one side, but then on the other side, we also believe that uh, not all the patients uh, should become expert uh, patients. So the, the patients who are not expert uh, needs to rely on the uh, doctor consultations or on uh, social networks uh, that can support uh, them in, uh, in making the decision. Um, and what, uh, what more do they need from, um, you know, whose who's job should it be for, to, to give them this, this information? Should it be from doctors? As far as these social networks, how do they know the ones that they can trust? What's the best approach? Well, the, the information should be given by the doctors. Although, the, although uh, our patients uh, also find uh, that uh, all, uh, not always the doctors uh, are uh, up to date or up to speed uh, with uh, the, uh, all the innovative uh, treatments. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, uh, cancer treatments are evolving uh, uh, very fast and, and often uh, even the doctors uh, are not up to speed uh, with innovative treatments. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot there and uh, we, as a, a patient organization, we want to push for doctors to be better educated and uh, up to speed. Uh, and then on the other side, what we work on is uh, raising awareness among patients and uh, trying to uh, advocate for them and give them all the tools uh, for them to understand better mm -hmm. uh, the different options. Mm -hmm. And thank you for bringing that up because um, we, for those of, of you who joined us for our conference um, call in Germany, um, there was also this frustration um, um, from oncologists and from uh, people with kind of a broader perspective that um, innovation, whether it was in surgical techniques or pharmaceuticals, science was discovering these things, but it's hard to figure out how to actually get it, um, get it into, into practice. Um, um, we also have uh, Anne-Réa quist who's the country manager here in France from Pfizer, um, and uh, she also recently um, was working in that position in Denmark. Um, and is there any comparison that you have seen between those two countries as far as um, offering access to innovation to patients? So again, Excellency, we discussed the timeline. Um, I, I can see we have a much faster timeline in, in Denmark compared to, to France, or immediately after a year approval, we can get the access of new innovative medicine. I think that that's a big difference compared to here. Uh, I know we have the ATU, which was mentioning, but if we look at the... And that's the other so Let's just explain to some of the listeners who may not, who also may not be health experts. Oh, so, so you, you can get the early access uh, before it gets registered. So you have uh, patient programs where you can get the access for the new medicine before it's approved. Um, so it's very program process-based uh, in, in the mm -hmm. country here. Um, but I, I think actually the, the timeline could be something which could be improved here in, in, in mm -hmm. France going mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. And how would you like to see that improvement happen? So I think it's actually, that, that's the discussions we have to take with the government here, because mm -hmm. they are uh, in, in the healthcare ministry, they, they are taking care of, of, of this process. So we actually have a visit from Emmanuel Macron. I had the opportunity mm -hmm. to uh, talk to him on how the healthcare system uh -huh. as well, the flex security by the way as well, but the health, the whole healthcare system. So he was in Denmark in the end of August, and, and he's very interested, you know, to, to look into the new, to a kind of a new healthcare system here mm -hmm. in, in France as well. Mm -hmm. But I think it, the discussions have to be 
with the government here to make sure, and the, the, the authorities, the, the regulatory uh, in, in France to, to get faster access to, to, to humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, anything else you can tell us about Macron's <laughs> <laughs> visit to Denmark? <laughs> I think you were there for two reasons. So the healthcare system, he's very much inspired of, and then the flex security. So mm -hmm. I can see the big difference. Our unions work councils are much more I don't know if say established. I'm not that much into the politics, but, but, uh, but that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. So the flex security with the workforce is 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 uh, composed in a different way compared mm -hmm. yeah, to France. Mm -hmm. So that was the two main subjects going to work. Jean Pierre, you made an interesting point um, tying uh, drug access to um, President Macron's problems with the Gilets Jaunes uh, protests. Um, you talked about the copays and how uh, French citizens may be paying, paying one way or the other. They have low copays, um, yeah, but uh, high health spending. Yeah, we have low copays and uh, exactly high personal spending, so there will be some, some tension for the poor in the economy. Uh, but what France is facing that many other countries are facing is that they have to have a, a, the speediest access to innovation and the price issue. But I want to stress the fact that, uh, not to defend the HTA body in France, but... So the Health Technology Assessment yeah, Body that evaluates the value add of, of new drugs. Of new drugs is that the, uh, since, for several reasons, the market approval is given faster than, uh, than before. And then the level of proof of many new drugs could be found rather uh, limited to really understand how it works in the real world. So, as many other countries are facing new mechanism uh, that will rely on extensive IT uh, data uh, to really document what, what's happening in real life and, uh, based on real world data and real world evidence. And that might impact the future of uh, uh, performance contract where the risk is shared with the industry. Personally, I think that it, it, it has to be uh, uh, the evolution has to be in that direction mm -hmm. uh, in, in any country, but especially in France, because we could not combine uh, fast access and uh, the pressure on the prices as we know it today. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but um, for those of you listening into the conference call, you can use the um, program that you use to call in to ask a question, and I'm happy to field whatever you send our way. Um, uh, uh, the fourth person who is here in the room with me is Dr. Hector Bigui, who is the um, uh, Worldwide Market Development Executive for IBM Watson Health. And we were just talking about real-world data um, and, uh, and its important role in evaluating innovative drugs. Um, but it also has many other uses for people's health. And, and um, I was wondering if you could talk about some of the things that you've seen that are um, important for, for countries or uh, other jurisdictions as when they're trying to set up um, data sharing systems? I think that uh, possibilities are very large. We were discussing today in our roundtable one concrete use case that it's uh, sharing information amongst different stakeholders, mm -hmm. not just in the, from the health sector but also from the social care sector. Mm -hmm. Especially in this type of chronic diseases where you have situations where uh, the person is not just a patient, it's also a person with needs, 
normally is um, the income is dropping or might have other additional issues at home, uh, might be unemployed or whatever other type of uh, situations. Uh, in some very qualitative analysis, uh, we arrived to the conclusion that there might be societies between 8 and 12% of the society might have very complex health situations and very complex social situations at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there is a need to coordinate those activities. Now, this data sharing, sharing data here, it's very important. It's also very important to, to share data in healthcare for healthcare coordination so that primary care, secondary care, um, and the different providers are linked to the same goal, looking for the same outcomes, for good outcomes, so to say. Also, you need social care coordination, and you also need integrated care coordination, so mm -hmm. being able to mix health and social data to bring it forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shouldn't this all just be easy? We just, you know, create one computer program and everybody <laughs> Everybody just puts their information into it. That would be ideal, but there is a need of... of um, the, the, the good, as the good news is that is, today is doable. Mm -hmm. That's the good thing to hear and to know. It's doable. Um, of course, depending on what is the type of setting that one needs, where is the wheel, how many stakeholders are involved, where is exactly the target that one wants to achieve, it might be very simple or might be very complex. We have, uh, for instance, projects where you have 65 different IT systems in the healthcare being integrated to be able to have one common view. Even there in, the, in that concrete case, is an example of a, of a project, even in that case, they were not having the same information, they were sharing some information to have a common view on some concrete variables. But having said that, what I'm saying is it's doable, it's possible, it's a matter of let's sit down and let's think about what do we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And now, do you feel like, um, do cancer patients generally feel like the, the collection of data is, is looking at the right things? Is, uh, you know, is there enough focus on um, outcomes that really matter to patients as far as quality of life, or uh, is there too much focus on other factors? Well, we, we, we see and experience uh, that uh, the majority of data collected uh, for the health system are related uh, just uh, to health, also, uh, to also when we look at uh, the, the costs. So the, the health, the, the cost of, the, of a therapy, the cost of a condition are pretty clear and easily uh, identifiable and measurable for the health system, while there is really little done on the societal costs of a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. And when we speak 
talking about the societal costs, uh, we mean uh, the cost on the family, the cost uh, on the informal care, the cost of uh, losing uh, the job uh, or uh, uh, being present on the job and so the presenteeism, so being at work uh, but uh, being less uh, productive because of the condition. So those are all costs uh, that uh, should, be, uh, should be measured and uh, highlighted so to advocate for this uh, integrated uh, care system uh, that uh, my colleague was talking about before. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Andrea, you, you saw some of these Scandinavian registries uh, at work. Um, how, how did they make a difference in terms of, of the way Pfizer did, did its uh, research and, and development work? So I think actually, I don't think it's uh, the Pfizer where we, we, um, we, we did some improvement in research. I think it's very much for the physicians or the healthcare mm -hmm. professionals in Denmark. Mm -hmm. they, they learn a lot, for example, the breast cancer register they have had for more than 30 years. So the physicians learn how to treat and how maybe not to treat. Mm -hmm. They learn about the side effects, they learn about the combination. And, and they can really look retrospectively on the data and of course then the uh, companies are coming into uh, collaborations with the physicians to improve treatment, mm -hmm. to create new products there. But I think first of all the registers are unique because you do have, you do see patients uh, involvement, uh, how they get treated etc. So there's a lot of good learning for the physicians to have these uh, registers. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually improved, um, so, so Denmark was not among the countries in Europe who has the best cancer treatment, mm -hmm. but that dramatically improved the past 20 years. So when we are comparing ourselves towards the other Nordic markets, mm -hmm. we, I wouldn't say way ahead, but, but we are ahead because they have a, a lot of good learnings into the registries. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. Jean-Pierre in France? You know, they, they don't have strong cancer registries here. Is that a technical problem? It's partially a technical problem. It's also the fact that since the, the cancer plant, a long time, France was very uh, effective in increasing the, um, the capacity of the, I mean, of the healthcare providers to really uh, take good care of cancer patients. So it's more a clinical approach first, and then a research approach first. Uh, in the research approach, in fact, we have many cancer registries. We might have too many, but my point is that if, because we started by discussing access and inequalities of access, mm -hmm. in many geographies, since the, uh, the cancer registry is covering all the population affected by cancer, then you can derive data to really know what's happening in terms of waiting times, for example, and at the, uh, at the territorial level, you know. And so, through open data, it's accessible to anyone, not only to the healthcare professional. And so I think France is at risk not to build those cancer registries, not only for research, but to also address the needs in mm -hmm. terms of what's called public health and population health, mm -hmm. and to really have to document how good it is, because it might be very good. But if you look at the data from uh, the population you're, uh, you're allowed to serve so well, then we need this hard data to really demonstrate that. Uh, and, and besides also those registries, though we might not call them dead registries, so we have a project in France called Health Data Hub, mm -hmm. which is really supported and part of the effort that will be brought to intelligence, arti arti artificial intelligence, 
And if you have that, then you can match all the data, for example, with the genomics platforms, as well as other data, which is more on the social part, by the way, we call determinants of health. And then you have a, a very rich data warehouse that you can, that really can help, uh, as, you, as Henriette, you said exactly, it could be a rapid learning system, because most of the data will be feedback you know, to the professionals to know exactly, oh, that's where I stand. My waiting time is too long in my uh, territory, you know, or I prescribe maybe too many of these drugs and I, I'm lagging in beyond because there's a new uh, protocol that is being approved in a good cancer center that I could use for my patient. Mm -hmm. So all those IT platforms will be very, very strategic in the future. And it, 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 it's been considered in the past, you know, when the president of, uh, former president of ESCO said, you know, sorry, we have to talk about logistics, but if we don't have the IT platform, then the, uh, the, the fight against cancer will be put on hold. Mm -hmm. He said that to President Obama, you know, so mm -hmm. it was, okay, mm -hmm. that's another eye opener, sorry, mm -hmm. I refer to eye opener from uh, across the Atlantic. <laughs> um, we didn't bring this up in our, in our, um, Roundtable, though I'm, I'm putting our panel on the spot, but um, one of the things that that we've been uh, looking at in the Global Policy Lab is why the um, the mortality rate for cancer is lower in the U.S. than, than in Europe. Um, any 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 thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> the problem with the U.S. is you have the best and the worst. <laughs> so um, sometimes I try to focus on the best. But if I focus on the best, I will extract, for example, mm -hmm. some of the very good integrated care organization. Mm -hmm. But as a, as a social system, you can not take in big risks, say that you have a close relationship between the health status of a population and the level of inequalities. Yes. And the level of inequalities in the US is very high and, and going higher than before. Mm -hmm. um, any, other, any other folks want to? I know it's a hard. <laughs> It's a hard question. Yeah, every everybody is surprised. Even even longtime readers of um, of Global Policy Lab are, are uh, tend to be quite surprised by um, by that statistic. But um, anyway, just a reminder to um, to listeners to uh, that you can ask a question through your through the platform. Um, let's let's look at something um, that France is doing. Oh, we do have a question. Uh, if you'll bear with me while I while I take a look. Um, um, so, Elisa wrote in with this very good question about data. Um, France is one of Europe's biggest countries. When we talk about the benefits of data, should we build infrastructure at the European level, or at least a strong stronger exchange processes? Uh, Antonella, do you want to start with that? Yeah, well, uh, of course, uh, one way to reduce, uh, if not eliminate, uh, disparities among European countries uh, is uh, to try and learn for best practices uh, in, uh, in one country and uh, export uh, this best practice. So to try and harmonize uh, uh, the harmonize research, harmonize uh, data collection, because uh, with data collection, the only way to, if we harmonize data collection, then we can provide an harmonized uh, answer mm -hmm. to the problem. And um, so this is uh, one big, big issue. Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. So 
Now, how to do it is uh, how to try it. I mean, we, we have to look for incentives, uh, maybe through you funded uh, programs, uh, we can start uh, doing that. Uh, but there is uh, definitely a need for, uh, uh, for, for any chronic condition, but most of all for, for, for cancer. Hector, from, from IBM Health, integrated European data. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's, of course, a, a very nice challenge because, of course, as we were discussing today in the morning in the roundtable, governance, financing, and provision of services changes very, very much from country to country, not just in terms of healthcare, but also in terms of social care. You have some countries where it's mainly national, the, the governance and some other is very much mixed with local authorities and, and regional uh, participation. So, having said that, what I, what I, what I think is that, um, of course, initiatives in this direction are always more than welcome. This could help all of us to have uh, better outcomes. And of course, it's a matter of how to align the different efforts in the different countries to be able to have it in a European Level. There are, of course, already some activities, some initiatives in collecting better statistics. This has improved a lot in the last years. So uh, I think that the path is there, technology is there. There is, of course, the need of sitting and defining exactly where we want to go. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, I want to, to confirm that the, the European Commission could play a big role when, for example, studying with cancer. They have some uh, space, you know, to fund really big projects and integrated care as well as creating large database for uh, what is called translational medicine, could it be in research and so on, is a long-term project. So uh, there's some, some part of the European Commission, for example, is able to, uh, to fund a 10 years project up to $1 billion funding, mm -hmm. okay? And that a cancer project could fit perfectly in that uh, vehicle. Uh, now we're getting out of the framework of called H2020. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a new framework yeah. called Health Europe. European Horizon Europe. Horizon yeah. Europe, yes. Many health people would love yes. it to be called Health Europe. I really would like to see a, a big structure, you know, health hub for cancer patients throughout mm -hmm. Europe that will be able to uh, create what is called now uh, uh, digi twins or whatever, or avatars, you know, yeah. because we know that. Uh, to refer to what I said before, we need that IT infrastructure really to fight cancer in the future. Mm -hmm. Not only to match all the biomarkers with the new protocols, but also to learn more about the different kinds of cancer, redefining the taxonomy. And then, as, as Hector said, you know, the, the, the best we can integrate data and health, then we can improve prevention and target special population. Mm -hmm. So it's a big challenge, and at least it will require a 10 years framework program mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, if I, just to add, um, I think we all, all of us will realize that data is, so to say, a very important asset. It's an individual asset, it's a corporate asset, it's a country asset. Um, then it's up to us as individuals, as communities, as countries, and etc., to decide how much we want to share the asset. And uh, it's very important, of course, for each of us, if we want to, to take that decision of sharing that asset, 
to be sure what is the purpose of that asset. I mean, what, what is the purpose if I share it? And uh, I think that those type of conversations have to start very fast bringing all stakeholders, I mean, bringing the views of the different stakeholders, not just the view of one of them. Because if I start as an individual thinking on my own, what, what type of, how much I am prepared to, to share my data, but I just see it from the perspective of my own purpose or my own objective. It might be different if I have the perspective of other stakeholders to better understand what I also they're pursuing. So this common understanding, it's, it's probably going to help us very much. And I am a, I'm very optimistic on this because Europe has a very strong representation of different stakeholders. So it's, it's possible to bring all these stakeholders together and to start to create concrete things to happen. Cancer, for instance, is one of them. Um. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, Hector. Um, uh, one thing that I've heard in my reporting is patients are very eager to share their data if it means helping other patients um, in addition to helping themselves, but they're, they're a little less enthusiastic about the idea of sharing their data for a company to make money off of it. So as somebody representing a company uh, building these types of uh, IT systems, so how would you respond to that concern? Well, I would say in the case of IBM, IBM is not uh, not the business model of IBM, so to say, is not making money out of, the, of, of your personal data. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, in IBM, the data is, stays with the organization working on that data. So, we don't beat that data. Mm -hmm. So, um, having said this, um, and coming back to the, to, the, to the question on how much should we share information? I think it's of course an individual decision um, and I think at the end of the day is again as we were pointing out today in the round table it depends very much on what is the what are the outcomes what are the expected outcomes on, on that sharing mm -hmm. what is the what is what we want to achieve on doing that and that's why coming back to what um, we were sharing today and what was said by Jamdia if we take a complete project and we start with a concrete, very defined situation, and then we, we put hands on, and then we said, okay, good, let's say, for instance, cancer, let's take cancer, let's say, from a, from a stakeholder's perspective, from an organization perspective, uh, corporate organizations, government, local authorities, social care, healthcare sector, individuals, patients, and so on, uh, what do we want to share? All right, yeah, last word. Maybe I'll yes. just comment because I think that's a very important point that we need to take this discussion to a population in, in France as well because we have had the same in Denmark and there's a lot of sensitivity and sometimes we can laugh about it because if we look at our iPhone when we're going on work in the morning, I said you have 40 minutes to work, work right? Mm -hmm. So we already, big, big brother is always watching you, but there's a lot of political discussions back and forth about who should own the data, what kind of data would we like to take out, um, etc. And I think it's important to have the discussions on uh, maybe it's uh, more anonymously data we are interested in and not hectares data specifically and, and actually maybe comment on your questions for companies' interest. Mm -hmm. 
we as pharmaceutical companies are very much interested to look into these stages and anonymously because we can see how diseases are developing and that help us to bring new innovative medicines uh, to, to patients. Mm -hmm. So, but, but the discussions have to be there. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so now let's jump to our last, last thoughts from you. Well, uh, data, the way you collect uh, data uh, also uh, tell about how the systems are structured. So the reason why data don't uh, match, uh, for instance, is also because uh, health systems or social systems are different uh, in European countries and uh, the, the way data are collected tells uh, where the country priorities are in, in the system. So it is important uh, in order to reduce disparities uh, to harmonize uh, the way data are collected. Well, what I say in my group, <coughs> there is a word very important, it's called transparency. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, at the age of the internet, there's a lot of concern about uh, uh, exactly what are my data used for, you know, so we want more transparency, more publication about the end results on the European database because it's mandatory and not made by everyone. Uh, we want to be support to uh, uh, second appraisal of data in a clinical trial, okay, open data of clinical trials. Uh, but on top of that, what could be very interesting in putting all the stakeholders around the same table is to have the patient representatives and the organization to define the end results, you know, and what is meaningful for them in a clinical trial. It doesn't mean that we have to wash away and to throw away what has been done uh, up to date, but looking at market approval or HTA, you know, uh, activity sometimes, we better ask the patient themselves, okay, what is important for you? What are you looking for through that protocol and that methodology? And it might be surprising for many, uh, many stakeholders. The answer might be very rich and very interesting. All right, well, speaking of rich and interesting, that's <laughs> how I would describe this discussion. So thanks so much to all of you for being here. Thank you to the audience for listening. Thank you to our partners, Pfizer and IBM Watson Health. Um, and we will be announcing the conference call for the next chapter very shortly, and the weekly global policy newsletter, um, global policy lab newsletter will return in mid-January. So thank you for reading. And